Welcome to Protecting Your Assets, the show about protecting people, property, and most importantly, protecting your ass. I'm your host, Lucky Luciano, and I'd like you to join me for a fast-paced and often fiery discussion about security issues with my co-host, Brian the Angry Man Claimer. Whether we're piercing the veil of security, talking your duty of care, or raving about the latest technology, we'll share our thoughts on the issues, the trends that are impacting security today and into the future. So grab a coffee and join us for our latest podcast every second Monday. And don't forget to like and follow us on our sponsor's website, brianclayman.com. And now let's talk about protecting your assets. Hello, folks, and welcome to Protecting Your Assets. We're on to episode four in season two. Uh, I'm Lucky Luciano Cedroni, your host, and with me is Brian the Angry Man Clayman. Um, after last week's episode, I think we're we're primed for another good one this week. We're going to probably touch on COVID because that's all that seems to be in the news. Uh, but we're really going to focus on what we call duty of care, and uh, you know, we're not any we're not lawyers by any stretch. Uh, we don't we don't purport to be uh, to be legal experts, but we do have a good understanding of what duty of care uh, means to business owners. Um, and we've had plenty of experience dealing with that um, in our previous lives. So uh, to translate that duty of care concept to our business owners. So with that, Brian, turn it over to you. Uh, what's keeping you up at night? I can suspect some of the things given our, our conversation, getting ready, getting ready for this, this podcast. Uh, so what's keeping you up at night? Well, there is a COVID component, but I'll sort of pivot a little bit and I'll look at it from the U.S. perspective and not entirely COVID related. Just see a transition from the Trump presidency to Biden and how uh, the uh, President Trump, uh, since the election, hasn't done anything other than play golf. And you've got the U.S. facing probably the greatest public health challenge it's ever faced in its history. And... Uh, He's still doing nothing, and his task force is doing nothing. I find it really interesting also, you know, going back to what we've talked about in previous podcasts, the importance of messaging and communications. And all these guys, from the CDC under Trump to the Surgeon General to all these healthcare experts that were silent under Trump, now are telling us, now that Trump is on his way out, that the U.S. is in for a very dark uh, winter the warnings are very, very dire. These same people, and I know that one of the things that you're going to talk about later on is the importance to clearly and effectively communicate so that you have credibility. And I just wonder when I see people that have been silent and almost complicit with Trump, now that Biden is here talking and speaking up and explaining that we've got to do things and we've got to wear masks or what have you, it just makes you wonder, you shake your head, were they true then, or are they true now? Yeah. On what side should I follow? It's a real confusing environment. And I think, again, we talked just before we started recording, the same type of uh, messaging uh, paralysis exists in Canada. Yeah. It, with, with, with message uh, tone uh, changing, depending who you talk to. I mean, just today, uh, you had uh, the uh, Premier of uh, uh, Manitoba, Manitoba had a impassioned uh, speech that take this seriously, COVID. If you're not taking it, you've got to be some sort of an idiot because it's real and it's destructive. But this is the same guy that was practically a denier back at the beginning when Manitoba could have done something yeah. about it. And he didn't. Listen, you know, a, a man or a person who doesn't uh, face reality and pivot and adjust 
is a fool. So kudos to anyone that can do that. But it's just disconcerting that you have all these Johnny-come-latelys, you know, all of a sudden become evangelists for what needs to be done. We know how this story ends. We know what will happen if we do nothing. We know what will happen if we do something and everything in between. And this whole idea of gotcha politics that this guy said stay at home and don't celebrate Christmas, but he's celebrating Christmas or he's going away for Thanksgiving. It just means he's a knob. It doesn't mean that the advice he gave us was wrong. So we got to get our act together. I still think that uh, light at the end of the tunnel, the light's getting brighter. But it's like the end of World War II is around the corner. Oh, and I there. don't want to be the guy, the last don't man shot there. five minutes before the ceasefire. My plan is just to survive until the light at the end of the tunnel gets brighter and brighter. I want to make it to spring. <laughs> Hopefully <Is> it, I do. <laughs> you mentioned that. And and, and I got to say, like, uh, was it Hilliard, the, the one who was on General, the radio the other day, yeah. comparing this to yeah, World War One and with the mustard gas attacks? <laughs> And I'm like, are you serious, man? Like, come on. That's that's o- overreached by miles, okay? We're glad, not facing gunfire. Come I, on. I am glad you brought that up because <laughs> I was going to bring that up if you didn't bring it up. This is what I would say to you. Poo-poo. That's what I'd say to you. <laughs> Listen, if I use that analogy, and I'm, you know, I'm no military expert or history expert or anything like that. And, uh, I'm not a, have any particular expertise in World War One, certainly. But if I was to say something like that, you have every right to critique me in a negative way, as you just did our beloved General Hilliard. But the thing is, the man's a friggin' general. Doesn't matter. But no, no, but if anyone can make that analogy with some level of expertise, it's probably him before me. So give him a break. You're so angry. No, I'm not angry. It's just, it's the, it's the lack of, are we really that stupid? I don't know what to say. He was a general. That's not an excuse to me. You have to earn the respect. General was custard too, and we know how he <laughs> ended. Okay, so don't tell me just because you're called general that you automatically get the respect. And no. when you make comparisons like that, you yes. lose the respect of the guys who actually went to war, who put their lives on the line, and you equate that to having to put on a mask. Come no, no. on. I see the similarity in the sense that those that went to war put it on the line. They risked everything. Okay. We are unable, this generation is unable to risk watching Netflix yeah. for three hours in a row. Uh, that so, we agree. <laughs> so, you know, I understand. But perhaps he was trying to make the point that this, the outcome, dead is dead. You know, I whether know. you get shot or you fell yeah. off, have a car, dead is dead. And yeah. if you look at the amount of people dead from this in this short actually they said in the U.S., when they hit the 200,000 mark, I could be getting this wrong, that was greater in three months than I think eight years of Vietnam. So yeah. he may be saying it from that perspective. This had been a devastating virus, yeah. and maybe that's the point he was trying to make. So, Luke, give the general I, a break. I, I get where he was going. I think he could have thought a little harder about using the uh, the comparison. Could have been a little better or more sensitive, because that's like we, that's what we like to do nowadays. You, you're not being very sensitive to the people who actually freaking fought in that war, you know, because they had no choice. They had to go, and we have a choice: put on a mask. Wash your hands. Like, it's that simple. And we can't even do that. Well, you know, it's interesting if we just stay on that for a second. They didn't have a choice because there was conscription. And quite honestly, my understanding of World War I is, uh, although there was conscription, many Canadians just went because that was what we did. That's how people, obligation, duty and country and all that stuff. 
But I wonder, you say they had no chance, uh, no choice. I wonder, God forbid, if we took the generation that's around today, we put them in a time machine back in 1918 or 1914, Uh okay? I bet you they would have found a way where they didn't go. <laughs> you know, yeah. Maybe there'd be a lot of conscientious objectors, or maybe a lot of people saying, "I can't go because I'm busy with my video game right now." So I, I think maybe see that's the point. I think Hillier was trying to make: we're fighting the same type of battle, but we're fighting it with different people, different means, yeah. different uh, a, a different desire to win. Everyone wanted to win that war. Everyone realized the sacrifices they had to make, both personal and also on the home front. Coffee was rationed, meat was rationed, you, you know, you couldn't get, at least World War II, you couldn't get uh, uh, winter tires or tires because rubber was rationed. Mm-hmm. So people knew that we had to work together. We had to collectively suffer so that we could get beyond this. And I'd like to think, but I haven't heard the quote in its entirety, but I have heard the follow-up. I'd like to think that's where he was going. And if he was yeah. going, I think it was dead on. If he was just being dramatic, then I would agree with you. And I don't like to agree with you, so I hope I'm right and you're wrong. Well... You know, I think we agree. He was. I know what he was trying to achieve. Just like you, that that the sense of the, the the importance of having to do what we have to do. I just think that it was poor taste comparing it to to that particular time in in our history. That's all. So let's let's keep it rolling to what we're talking about today. Duty of care. We reason uh, reasonable foreseeability is really what I, I I put in my notes at the start of it. And, and to your point, he talks. It really does go hand in hand with duty of care. And when you think about what uh, what we've seen by our, our leadership in the last uh, couple, uh, well, let's say the eight months for sure since the, the pandemic started, I'd say that there's been a colossal failure of, of duty of care because we've talked about and, and the companies we work for, because you want to relate this back to business for our listeners, the companies we worked at all had pandemic committees. You've been on them. I've been on them. And all too often security got tasked with it because nobody else wanted to deal with the pandemic committee. Because the sense was, it's a waste of time, um, it's never going to happen, and if it does happen, it's not going to be to the severity that they're talking about. You know, Even when I worked with the large retailer, global retailer, they were talking about stockpiling uh, medication and things like that. So it was, always, it was always part of the corporate culture, if that's the word you want to use, but it was always relegated to the side because it was sort of a necessary evil. We better have a pandemic plan because the insurance company requires it or our tenants or our clients are asking about it. That really came to light when this pandemic hit at all levels because we saw, we found that governments, both, you know, the U.S., not just Canada, I'm not uh, isolating Canada, but clearly the supplies that were initially there had all disappeared. The plans hadn't been practiced or updated in freaking years. Um, and so we were caught with our pants down. So that speaks to that foreseeability piece went out the window. There's no excuse for that. They knew it was coming, and they still dropped the ball. Now we're going into the second, uh, sorry, not even the second phase. Let's talk about the third phase, which is the vaccine, I would say, coming. And they still don't have uh, clear direction in terms of when are we going to get it, how are we going to get it, how is the delivery going to be of those supplies, who's going to get it first. They probably have all those plans in the background, but they certainly ain't sharing it with people. And I think that that's just going to lend more suspicion, uh, more resentment, revolt from from the everyday person who's just frustrated out of their minds right now yeah i um you're right uh, you know when i look back at my my career in the private sector the last almost 30 plus years i've been singularly focused on what is my role as a security practitioner it really was to ensure that the people i work for were exercising the appropriate duty of care 
And, you know, I started off with, uh, I'll start off with the definition. The working definition that I've always gone by is that a duty of care is a legal obligation requiring a business or any entity to ensure that reasonable, a reasonable standard of care is exercised when carrying out any activity which could result in foreseeable harm to people, property, or process. So that word foreseeable that you open up this section with. Foreseeable is that there's a lot of things that can happen that are going to uh, uh, be very problematic. For example, you can have an airplane go into an office tower as we did in 9-11, and thousands of people are going to die, and it started a 10-year war, 10-plus year war. You could also have flu hit you every single year and that's uh, has a foreseeable foreseeability factor different than the airplanes we had apparently a meteorite that struck yeah. uh, the, the greater toronto upstate new york area yesterday okay in terms of foreseeability the chances of a meteorite striking an urban area and causing havoc is very remote if it happened it would be consequential so we bring it back to what you were talking about covid and COVID or, or pandemics, is it foreseeable? Well, everything I now have learned is the, the, the 100-year event seems to have every five or six years. If you look at pandemics in the world and you go back to when I was a, a kid back in the 60s, and, you know, and if you look at polio and if you look at chickenpox and you look at measles, there's been a major world event happening every four to ten years. So I think the idea that was COVID foreseeable, if you listen to Anthony Fauci, if you listen to the experts, it was certainly foreseeable. Mm-hmm. Even in his memoirs, uh, President Obama said that there was a pandemic plan that was handed off to the uh, uh, incoming administration right. under Trump. If you look at our PPE situation, we were stockpiled perfectly. What our prime minister did was, because it was going towards the end of shelf life, he sold it or gave it away to the Chinese or sold it to other countries. That's okay. But he never replenished right. it. Yeah. So that's, you, you know, if you continue with the definition of duty of care and foreseeability, failure to uh, operate with the appropriate level of duty of care is the first element that must be established in order to proceed with a negligence lawsuit against mm-hmm. a business entity or government entity. And should litigation be initiated what, under law, what the lawyers tell me, the three elements that they look for, and we're going to steal this, David Salston likes to say this all the time. <laughs> what did you know? When yep. did you know it? And what did you do about it? So, Luke, to bring it back to the discussion on COVID, what did we know about COVID? Well, we knew that pandemics were something that were a reality that governments and officialdoms had to plan for. I may not have known about it. My brother, who's an accountant, may not have known about it. But those in the emergency management business knew that this was a risk or a threat that was foreseeable. It was likely to happen, and it could be very problematic if it happened. When did you know it? Well, we knew this all the time. Certainly here in Canada, in Toronto, after SARS, that was just about uh, 17 years ago. Okay, And then we had H1N1 after that type thing. And what do we do about it? That's the question. I think there's a failure in those three. And I think that we're going to see litigation, quite a bit of litigation in the years to come. And if we use the COVID example about businesses, okay, uh, and about the risks that they face. So, for example, if we take it back to commercial real estate, is it foreseeable that if you have an underground parking garage and you allow tenants to use a building 24 hours a day, that at 3 o'clock in the morning, 
someone may have a problem in the parking garage where they get mugged or fall down the stairs and uh, uh, lie there for hours and hours. Because that's a foreseeable, possible, likely outcome, the security plan should be that it's monitored, that security patrols it on a regular basis. If you don't, you are failing in your duty of care obligation to be prepared to deal with the foreseeable outcome. I think you and I were talking recently about a, uh, a client that Clayman & Associates was looking at who wanted to use a uh, their stairwell to go between a building. It was a threat risk assessment we were uh, going Oh, yeah, yeah. there's lots of buildings client. that do that. Yeah. yeah, and the stairwell. Well, I tell you, a lot of buildings that I was responsible for when I worked for GWL Realty Advisors, we didn't want tenants to go through stairwells, and we told them you were not to use the stairwells except for an emergency. And one of the reasons was because we didn't patrol those stairwells with security, and the cleaners didn't go through them every day. They went through them once a week because the loads were supposedly lighter. But if we said, sure, go ahead and use it, and then we didn't then patrol it with security or with cameras or clean it on a regular basis, we would be remiss in our duty of care obligation because it's foreseeable if you're letting people use a stairwell that something bad could happen. And what did we do to prevent against it? We were doing nothing. We weren't cleaning. We didn't have cameras there. We didn't have security going through there. If you fell and break, broke your leg on a Thursday, maybe we'd find you when we clean it six days later. That's a perfect example of a failure of duty of care because a foreseeable risk was not being properly addressed. Yeah, and you mentioned the three the three uh, components. You know, when, what what did you know? When did you know? And what did you do about it? I, I would say there's even a fourth one uh, that is becoming more and more um, applicable, and that is, you know, what should you have known? Um, because just because yeah, you can't, you know, point. not not knowing is not a defense any longer. Yeah. And what they'll do is, or what what the courts are starting to do is, they'll compare you, your business, or your location to your neighbors, to your competitors, and yeah. and if they've got, like for example, the four corners in Toronto, you know, you got the four big banks. If three of those banks have got guarding operations, and you're the fourth bank that doesn't have guarding operations, and something happens, you're gonna have to explain why you don't have it. And that's not to say that it's right or wrong, but you better have a reason for it. And that comes down to doing your risk assessment, understanding what the risks are. And again, talking about what's foreseeable, what's reasonable, and developing your security strategy based on your assessment. The problem is a lot of those companies, a lot of businesses, don't even start with doing a proper assessment. They just throw, oh, you know what, I should put in a camera. And they throw in a camera. They don't think about what's the what's the business case for that camera because Privacy Act requires us to have a business case for camera systems. And again, not a big deal to build the case, but you've got to understand why those things exist so you can defend their use if you get into trouble. It really comes down to understanding the business and what the, what are the typical risks that are associated with that business. Even though they may not apply to your building, if it applies to similar businesses or competitors, you've got to account for that in some way, in some fashion. Yeah, you're right. A duty of care <laughs> truly is a moving target, and it's variable, and it's reliant on so many things. Uh, you know, I used to work very closely with our legal counsel in my last job. We often talked about uh, over coffee uh, best practice, and I like to use the term that we had to operate in accordance with best practice. And he taught me something. He said something that really was uh, very meaningful and uh, really changed the way I looked at things. He said best practice is a moving standard. So, for yeah. example, if you're operating, you talked about the four corners. You were talking about the financial district in Toronto being King Street where you've got the four uh, towers of the head offices of uh, – uh, four of Canada's largest banks are right there at Bank King Street. And if you're going to control what is best practice, 
best practice on Bay Street of being king might be different than best practice in Vaughn at a, a, a yeah. two-story strip mall. So he said to me that you're going to be held to the standard of others in a similar similar, right. uh, similar situation as you mm-hmm. are held to. So if they have security managers and directors that have credentials and have experience and you don't, that's a problem. If they have uh, one guard for every 10,000 foot of real estate space and you don't, that's a problem. That's why it's variable. So that's why you have to make sure it's measured to the environment you're working under. And security is a great example. There are so many buildings that have the gamut of security from no guards to some guards to brain dead guards to guards that are highly skilled. You've got some secure, some buildings, some properties where the security uh, mandate is the responsibility of the property manager, sometimes the operations manager, sometimes it's a contract security guard, a senior guard, or in the case of where you work, Luke, and where I worked and where the major uh, uh, properties were operating, you had highly skilled, highly credentialed leaders such as yourself, such as David Salston, Terry Chwanek, Roy Manius, people like that that were there that you wouldn't see in other buildings. But in their environment, that was necessary. That yeah. was the best practice in that environment. So it is a very moving target. When you take it back to COVID and you take it back to our government leaders and some of the decisions that were made or not made, what what they should have known, I think the argument could be made, they should have known that they weren't prepared. Yeah. The government of Ontario should have realized after coming through the spring that the summer was borrowed time. They should have been ramping up capacity. It's very disconcerting to me when I hear the Prime Minister of Canada talk triumphantly a month, two months, three months ago about signing contracts with all these pharmaceutical yeah. uh, companies. <laughs> for but millions. I guess, but, but for millions, and we have incredible, <laughs> we're so, we've done such a great job, but I guess he never realized that one day they would actually have a vaccine that he'd have to actually <laughs> get and compete with the rest of the world. Yeah. And the amount of stuttering. I mean, our prime minister stutters at the best of times, yeah. but the amount of stuttering that's coming out right now, I think they screwed up. And here's the reality, going back to messaging. I don't know what they do and how they fix it. I think I'm going to give them a pass. There's going to be a time to destroy them later. I'm going to give them a pass right now because we're in the heat of battle. Because they're not going to say they screwed up. They're not going to say they dropped the ball. So I'm going to look the other way. I'm going to be singularly focused on getting that vaccine as soon as we can. And if we're only going to be able to get it in March, when the Americans are start- and the Brits are starting to vaccinate next week, that's regrettable. And he's going to have to answer for that at the next election or sometime in the future. But I'm not going to bug him right now. I'm going to allow our guys, as long as they're trying to correct themselves and get back on course, I'm not going to disable them. And I think we have to be focused that way because there'll be a time for uh, reckoning. President Trump is a great example. He's gone rather quiet. He's no longer dominating the news cycle because his time has come. And I don't know what the effect is going to be, but all I know is that Joe Biden, I hear about once, maybe every three days on the news cycle, and I'm not hearing Trump 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That's very refreshing. Trump will have to pay the piper with the litigation that might be forthcoming, criminal charges. I don't know what his business is going to be like. I don't know if he survives or doesn't. You know, he is a survivor. Who knows? 
but that day will come. He's uh, well, he could be preparing his coup, so he wants to be quiet, right? <laughs> that's, that's the real. And he's also busy pardoning everybody from their previous convictions. So. You know, I can tell you something. It is really scary because normally we would both laugh, but inject nervous laughter here for coup. <laughs> It is not beyond the realm of possibility. No, it is not. Not with that enough time. <laughs> uh, no, I, I did just one more thing before we get off President Trump. Biden can say that he has got more votes than any other president ever in the history of the U.S. But Trump can say yeah. also he got more than he George Washington it. and those guys also. <laughs> They've got some real serious problems. Though. So just getting back to uh, the duty of care uh, discussion, we talked about what you should know, how you should know, or, sorry, what you should do about it, what, you know, that, that whole discussion around reasonable foreseeability. I also want to touch on the fact that that duty of care, you know, years ago, certainly in, in when I started in the property management or commercial real estate security realm, it was very common and probably remains so to this day in most secure, in, in most companies. The perception that that duty of care ends at the four corners, right? Or the four property lines of the building. That is not, that is a naive perception or position to have because that's not the, that's not the reality. That, that duty of care has extended well beyond the location of your office or your property or your building. Um, and there's plenty of case law to speak to that. We've had examples of, of guys who've gone to uh, conferences and they've gotten into accidents in the car and the company's been held liable for that. Um, and so when you, when you talk about business owners, I think this is, this is also something that still needs to be injected into the everyday understanding and psyche of a business owner that they have to look beyond the immediate property or business that they deal with. And what, how is it engaging or interacting with the community around it and the society around it? So I'll give you two quick examples that illustrate what I'm getting at. A concert is a perfect uh, example of that. Uh, we, I think you were at the last, uh, tap uh, symposium is going back a few years now but we had the guy come in from uh, britain to talk about i think it was ariana grande who had oh the yes explosion the right terror attack yeah yeah and he went into the whole discussion about how they took into account how long these lineups were going to be to get into that building yeah. because at the end of the day that person waiting in line six blocks back from your building is still your responsibility because that's why they're there. They're there to come into your building. So if you don't account for the fact that it's extremely hot out there and that maybe they need some water or maybe you should have some uh, first aid uh, attendants in the in the area to tend to those types of things, you could be held liable. That's that's one example of, of, of a sort. The other one I wanted to touch on was a little more serious because uh, I read recently and I've used this case a number of times in my presentations to, to property managers to get them to understand what I what I'm talking about when I say you have to look beyond the property line. This is literally about the property line, and it it involves a bar. Um, I think it was in Vancouver, where the bars the bar goers obviously the uh, the patrons would have a little too much to drink, and when they got really tipsy and and drunk, the security guys would come. They would grab them, and instead of taking them out the front door, they would take them out the back door so that they didn't have the negative perception and people didn't have to see it and all this kind of crap. So sort of like your would, summer barbecues, isn't sort it? Sort of like my summer barbecue. So they would take these patrons, they would take them out the back door and they'd say, see you later, have a good night. They'd walk down the alleyway and get into a cab. Problem is one night, one of them gets mugged. And so the, the investigation starts and lo and behold, that alleyway was well known for muggings. The property owner, the bar owner knew that it was well known for, for muggings. And yet they were still throwing people into that environment. So they ultimately got held responsible for that and successfully lodged, uh, sued for that. Whatever it was, it was, you know, six figures. Who knows what it was? It was, it was a considerable amount. I don't remember the amount, 
But that again shows you that the, the, the owner wasn't responsible up to the door and that was it. They were held responsible for well beyond the property line. And that, I think, speaks to uh, something that most business owners really don't appreciate. They think that if it happens outside, it's not my problem. And it is. Well, you know, and, and we talked about uh, you have a full range of security deployments in, in buildings or businesses, everything from where you have no guards to some guards to bad guards to great guards, no managers to great managers type thing. That's also part of the duty of care obligation because the, the business, okay, be it a property, be it a business, be it a factory, really has to make sure that it has the right resources to fulfill its obligations. Mm-hmm. So when you talk about the property line, you would need someone with expertise, understanding of law, understanding of security, understanding of what the risks are, understanding of how the business or the property operates to, uh, to understand where does that risk end. And not only does the risk sometimes outside the property line, sometimes there are things you can do to contain where your risk is, almost to geomap what your responsibility is. A great example would be a lot of property managers, uh, as a, uh, a value-add service, will escort you to the parking garage or yes, to the subway station, yep. okay? Mm-hmm. Because the tenants like that may feel uh, secure that there's someone there and they're going to be safe. The problem is that when you escort them outside of the uh, property line, you really have taken ownership for their safety. And you arbitrarily are deciding that, okay, you're now at the bus stop or you're now at the GO train station. I'm going to go back to the property. Well, if that person gets mugged on the train, what are you going to say? Have we done a risk assessment to see the likelihood of them being mugged on the train? Have we decided that, you know, maybe we should because the person, the reason we did the escort because the person is a domestic violence right. uh, victim, and we wanted to make sure they didn't get accosted by their significant other on the way to the bus stop for the train. Well, what happens if they get accosted on the train or they get off the train? Our duty of care obligation, we've just extended that because we knowingly extended the perimeters of the business. So it works both ways. Yep. I think we have to understand the things we do as a business, as an entity, like, for example, buildings. I remember we would have, I think... Uh, I forget what it was, but we would have some celebrity, let's say, coming, uh, a tennis celebrity or a music celebrity is coming to the building, okay? So we had security when the celebrity came. We protected them. uh, There was security in their dressing room. We made sure when they were on stage in the courtyard talking to the tenants that they they were safe, okay, that the people around them were safe. But we, you know, a lot of people didn't think, well, what about the 100,000 young girls that are going to come to see this rock star? And while they're coming to your building, something happens to them on the approach to the building. There's That was foreseeable. Yeah. If you didn't think about that and put some sort of a waiver in place or contingency in place, it's a failure of duty of care. So this is something that most of our clients as a consultant don't think about. They don't realize till you sit down and say, you know, the first thing I do when I meet with a prospective client or even a current client, I say, are you aware of the risk and threats that you're faced with? You know, have you ever done a threat risk assessment? Yeah. If you don't know what who the enemy is, if you don't know what the risk or threats are, it's just hit and miss that you'll have the appropriate countermeasures in place. And I think most companies are guilty of that unless they have a quality security leader or risk manager at the helm. And more often than not, even if they have someone at the helm, and you and I have talked about this a lot, they don't have the acumen or sophistication to provide the real value that the business needs to pr- pr- protect them to ensure 
they fulfilled their duty of care obligation. And that's because people want to cheap out. People don't yeah. want to spend the money or people don't want to put the right resource in place. And again, to be clear, I'm not saying that if you have a building which is very low risk, that has not, it's not iconic, don't have high risk uh, uh, tenants, nothing ever happens at the building. It's just a proctologist and a dentist. The level of duty of care, the level of risk is going to be a lot less than it would be at the CN Tower. Yeah. But you've got to be a realist. You've got to look. It, you know, if you were a business owner, you had a small pizzeria, you had three employees, plus you have a driver. It is foreseeable that people are going to get sick with COVID. Okay. You have a duty of care to at least at a minimum follow the government issued guidance. Yeah. It's amazing how many people are doing that and not realizing what their exposure is. If you look at the guy in Etobicoke, the restaurateur that had the rib place, okay, yeah. that was defying the order. And if you looked at the video, no one was wearing a mask and they're all hugging and high-fiving. I hope none of those people get sick because the exposure this guy has, forget about breaking the law, the tort exposure of liability. What did he know? What did he do about it? You, yeah. you know, when did he know? He knows about this stuff, yet he decided he's going to defy it. That comes with consequence. That's the same consequence that our employees and business leaders have that they have to understand. And politicians yeah, have with COVID. They do. And, and, and it all starts with that, that risk assessment that, that we talked about. This, we're not covering risk assessments in detail on, the, on this podcast, this episode, but it is the basis of everything that falls from, from, yes. from your security program. If you don't understand your risks, by doing an assessment, then what the hell you put, put, you know, what does your, what is the objective of your security program? You have to have a clear vision and that all starts with the assessment that outlines the gaps. It tells you what you should, what you do know, what you should know, what you're doing to, to fix those yeah. things and how to fix those. I mean, it's all there. It's not rocket science. And yet so many businesses fail to do that. And I think part of the problem is that when things do go wrong, certainly in Canada, it's not publicized enough. Um, and all too often, it's easier to just, you know, cash solves everything, right? So people will have a good case, pay them off, and away you go. Nobody knows anything, no brand damage and all the rest of it. That's another discussion for another day. But that's the reality. But I think that the tide has changed. It is changing that people are going to be held more accountable. You're starting to see it in certain pieces of legislation. More and more accountability is moving towards the executives, the the, the board. Boards are certainly more sensitive to security issues than they've ever been in the past. Um, and I think that that reflects a better understanding of the risk. That, that better understanding is a result of the fact that more and more of them are being held accountable. They may go to jail. There's impacts to fines, bottom lines, and things like that. So I think we've got a way to go, but I see that, that the ship is definitely turning in that direction. Risk management, basically, you know, the TRA, I'm getting ahead of myself with risk management, <laughs> but the TRA is, as you said, the cornerstone of a program. If you don't know, you know, it's like a doctor. You go to your doctor and say, hey, doc, I'm not feeling well. Before he prescribes you something, he wants to figure out, well, how do you feel and what's causing it? And if he understands the cause, let's call that risk, then he's going to tailor make a therapeutic solution to address that. So if you've got an infection, he may give you an antibiotic. If you're depressed, he may send you to see a therapist, a psychotherapist, a psychologist, something like that. So, you you know, that's really the risk, is risk assessment. you got to walk before you run. Mm -hmm. Well, what businesses have to understand is you talked about, you know, canes are different than Americans in that when uh, someone gets sued, first of all, in the States, it's a big news story. And yeah. second of all, it's for $100 trillion or what <laughs> the awards are. The juries are out of control. 
that's somewhere between what the Americans do and what we do is where reality sets in. But there's nothing wrong. You made it sound like it's wrong that a lot of companies say, well, screw it, you know, we'll just pay them off and we'll move on. As long as you've done that as the basis of a risk management discussion following a TRA, identify the risks, then have a discussion to say, do I care if this happens? If it does happen, will it cripple my brand and reputation? Will it cripple me financially? If the consequence is marginal, then really you shouldn't spend a lot of time with it. And if it means that if I look the other way and I don't have the amount of security I need, and the worst case is that someone will get mugged once every two years, and I don't think the brand and reputation damage is going to be impactful, I can afford the 50000 deductible the insurance. At least that was a decision you made based yeah. on an assessment. I think you and I are saying the frustration is people aren't even doing the assessment, and then yeah. it's like uh, playing poker or uh, uh, dice. They throw the dice and they hope yeah. it works out. That's the problem. That, that is the problem. But I, I just want to clarify you know, one thing. If, look, if, if you've done a proper assessment and you pay somebody off because it makes sense, that's not what I'm really concerned about because that's the reality. It's cheaper to pay somebody rather than yeah. go to court and pay lawyers, you know, thousands, yeah. millions of dollars to basically end up with the same result. That's been sort of my, my, my take on that. Um, so there is an incentive to pay off before you go through down that road. But what I'm really, the issue with it is for me is this, because they do that, because they're allowed to do that, we don't really have an understanding of the yeah. risks for that particular item. So exactly. for example, I'll tell you, I've done some research for uh, couriers, right? For, you know, one of my other uh, jobs in life. Um, so I was researching couriers and what I mean by couriers, not just bike couriers, but um, you know, Amazon delivery guys, you know, Purelator, those Federal types of people. X, FedEx. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They're, they're, they're bringing parcels to, to places. And, First of all, it was very difficult to find any research done on this type of, of risk. But when you read into it, you find out that they're getting assaulted. They're getting set up uh, with false locations and then, you know, assaulted yeah. and their, their goods taken. Robbed. Vehicles stolen, robbed for cash, right? All these things, which if you think about it, shouldn't be a surprise because, of, I mean, if you think about what they do for a living, it makes sense. Sort of like real estate agents getting raped in a house. I mean, it only makes sense that somebody would say, hey, why don't I just set her up and do it, right? Sure. So I, I get that, but the pro so when you have these, when you allow companies to address those items not in the public light, then it creates the sensation or, or creates the the illusion that you know it's a pretty good gig. You know what? They're paying twenty bucks an hour for me to be a, a some kind of a driver. I'll go do that. And you're not going into that business with eyes wide open. You're actually you know you're seeing what they want you to see is what I'm getting at. And that to me. Is also, you know, playing around with a little bit of the duty of care stuff because you should have a duty to let these people know if you're getting into this business, these are the risks and this is what we're going to do to protect you. And when, when you're settling cases on the side, we don't have a real bead on what's actually happening, happening in that particular issue. But, you know, as an example. Well, no, and that's an excellent example because that's an example of a uh, duty of care obligation on the part of, let's say, the career company and they, because the number of incidents you talked about are not necessarily discussed that much, they put their head in the stand, not appreciating the foreseeability of these type of dangerous events happening. Because they need to understand the foreseeability so that they can maintain not only their duty of care obligation to the employee and the public, but also their occupational health and safety obligation under law, under criminal law, to make sure that the environment's safe. 
if I tell a employee at Tim Hortons that I want you to take the nightly deposit of $10,000 and put it in the bank, okay, I have failed in my duty, and he's alone, and yeah. he's not trained, I have failed in my duty of care obligation because it's foreseeable that something is going to go wrong and he yeah. can get really hurt. That's different than if I say, hey, Brinks guard or guard a guard with a gun in an armored car, you make that deposit because we gave them the tools, the training, because we did a risk assessment. We right. understand our duty of care obligation. The act of depositing money is not what's bad. It's the fact the act of depositing money uh, without having people that are trained, equipped, and know what to do from a safety and security point of view. That's where the problem is. That's the violations. And that's all duty of care is. Yep. It's understanding what your environment is like and making sure that you have the appropriate strategies in place to yep. mitigate. That's all. And sometimes it costs money. I would suggest, and that's why when people get sued, it's for big amounts of money. I would suggest you have a moral and certainly a legal responsibility to make sure you don't put people in harm's way. And that's all duty of care is. Yep. It's as simple as that. Yeah, and and I think the other point I would add on to that is that it doesn't. There's this presumption, especially when it comes to risk assessments, that oh, if I do a risk assessment, then I have to, I'm obligated to do whatever the, that assessment says, and that's not the that's not nope. the reality because the the premise is your actions have to be reasonable, deemed reasonable. Yes. So you don't, it, you know, you you can you you like to use the example of building Fort Knox. I can protect your build yeah. your building. I'll build Fort Knox, but you'll be out of business because. Obviously, uh, Fort Knox, nothing's going to go in and out. So it defeats the purpose. Somewhere in between there, you have to find what is reasonable to protect whatever it is you're trying to protect. So in the terms of, of the courier example, you know, maybe you give them uh, a tracking beacon uh, with a, with an alert on it that they can press. Or maybe you have a verification system to make sure that the person asking for the delivery actually lives at that address. That's reasonable steps. It's not costly. And it shows that you're being, you're, you have some level of diligence you know, pr protecting your, 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 uh, your, your yeah. interests. And quite honestly, when a business is not even willing to meet the minimal criteria of a threshold of reasonable, that's when they're culpable. Yeah. That's when they've crossed the line. And really, that's what the message is. You know, when we do a TRE for a client, and often the place is a mess because a lot of people intuitively don't really understand security risk management unless they have a professional on site. So often there's a whole bunch of proposals, but we tell the client, Listen, you don't have to panic. You don't have to do this overnight. What we're doing is is we're identifying the risk. Let's have a discussion. Let's see how impactful. Let's see what is the minimum reasonable thing that you would be expected to do. And let's sort of strive for that. And if you choose not to even do that, go into it with your eyes opening, understanding that there's an associated legal risk with that. And as long as you understand that, then we've all done our job because, again, we will never have a 100% safe, secure environment. No matter how many people take a COVID vaccine, okay, or no matter how safe the vaccine is, there is going to be someone that's going to have an adverse reaction. Yeah. I, for one, 20 years ago, had a flu shot. Yeah. And what happened to me was one in 10 million. It was an adverse reaction. Yeah. It actually put me in the hospital for almost a year and it almost killed me. But I would never say that we shouldn't have a flu shot. Because it's about what is reasonable. It's yeah. reasonable to have the flu shot. The fact that my doctor didn't tell me there's a 1 in 10 million chance, he wasn't culpable. That's not unreasonable. Yeah. So that's all that security, that's all that a TRA does, what a security leader does, is have the discussion. Yeah. Sometimes the cure, 
Trump, I, I was going to say to his credit, there's nothing to his credit, <laughs> but he said words like, you can't let the cure uh, be more deadly than the disease. Well, there's some modicum of truth to that type of thing. We can crush COVID by shut, do like the Chinese do. Yeah. Put troops with tanks out there, lock everyone in your house, and arrest or shoot you if you go out. That will crush it. It's not reasonable, so we don't go to that standard. Yeah. So it's just a matter of, you know, saying, what do I have to do? And it's in your interest to be reasonable because even if you don't want to be a good human being, most business leaders want their businesses to thrive yep. and survive. And if you don't care if someone gets hurt and I'm not the morals police, you at least care for the business to, to survive. And if you don't even care about that, then you've got other issues and I can't help you. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think part of, part of the challenge uh, nowadays is that that whole concept of reasonable has gone out the window. Well, it is. It is. <laughs> Certainly on the political side and, and uh, you know, business just gets dragged into it. But, uh, you know, it is what it is. And that might be a discussion for another podcast. But having said that, um, uh, duty of care to all the listeners, it, it affects everybody. And if you don't think it affects your business, then you sort of got your head in the sand, as, as Brian alluded to uh, during the podcast. Uh, it affects everyone. Um, and I think even if the law didn't uh, sort of dictate that it affected your business, I think ethically it affects or morally it affects all of us because we should have that duty of care built in. Nobody wants to do something intentionally to hurt somebody else or let something fail. We're all, we should all default to the fact that we want to take care of others. We, we all have a duty of care. As parents, yeah. we have a yeah. duty of care. You get behind the wheel. You have a duty of care not yeah. to drink alcohol. If you drink alcohol and kill someone, there's several things. I'm not a lawyer. But it seems to me there's several things that you face. There's criminal prosecution, there's prosecution under the Highway Traffic Act, and there's also litigation for damages, okay, yeah. because you failed in your duty of care to have proper care and control of the vehicle. So duty of care is something that applies to business, but it's it, it's almost a basic human right yeah, that exactly. each of us think that when I go to your house, Luciano, for a barbecue, that you're not going to poison me, that you've taken... Uh, care to make sure the meat was refrigerated, yeah. that the milk is not sound. That, that that's a legal ob that, that's a moral obligation, yeah. but it's a legal obligation we all have. Yeah. But businesses especially, because they're expected to operate at a higher level. They're expected to hire people like you, like me, people that know lawyers and make the right decisions. Yeah. Good place to end it, Brian. Discussion is always with you. For I don't know if I like the sound of that, uh, <laughs> but okay. Go ahead. It's I'll, I'll digest I'm that. Of, I'm tired of listening to you. <laughs> okay. That, that I understand. That what that I understand. Oh, geez. All right. We're going to sign off. Uh, hopefully, you've, you've got some, some good takeaways from, from that. Again, duty of care is something that applies to everybody. If you don't, uh, If you're not familiar with it, I encourage you to reach out, find out. Uh, you're certainly free to reach out to Brian or myself. We're always happy to talk to people and educate uh, them on how uh, how we think you should be looking at, uh, at your business when it comes to security risks. And until next time, I'm going to sign off. Brian? Thank you. It, duty of care is important. Think about it because it's going to bite you in the butt. You may get away with not paying your taxes for five years, <laughs> 10 years, 15 years, but the tax man is going to get you and the duty of care guy is going to get you. Unless Everyone you're Donald has, Trump. Unless you're Donald Trump. Hey, I... That last chapter is not written, and I think <laughs> I think there's going to be some interesting uh, biting of the bum coming up. Uh, I think you're right, although I think he's going to get pardoned, so we'll see. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, All right. right, take care, folks. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. That concludes this podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening, and will join us in a couple of weeks for our latest episode. 
Please remember to like and follow us on our sponsor's webpage, BrianCleman.com, where you can leave us your comments and suggest topics you'd like to hear about in future episodes. Until next time, thanks for listening, and don't forget to protect your assets. (laughs) 